So my main question for this Easter morning is not why, not what, but how. How did the disciples go forth after what happened in that experience that they were able to move forward after the death of their great leader and not quite sure what to make of, as the scriptures tell us when Jesus was uh, resurrected and appeared to them again. What on earth do you do with that? And how do you go forward? How do you go forward with the message of love and justice and welcome that was at the core of their great teacher's offerings? As a student of religion and as students as we all are of religion and faith and sources of truth and revelation, for this Easter, I want to focus on Jesus' followers and their experience, the loss of their teacher, their holy guide, and how devastating that was, and then how to go forward. What calls us on amid heartbreak amongst powers that are far, far beyond our individual control? both those of empire and oppression and life and death itself. To do that, I want to make sure that we're, we get to spend some time in the mindset of what the followers might have been experiencing. So this is something of a, a modern retelling, if you will. We're not going to draw much from scripture, reading of the scripture today. But, but we need to begin, if we're going to get to Easter, we actually have to start a little bit with Palm Sunday. So a week ago, when there was the great rejoicing and welcome of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the triumph, the welcoming of him as the king. And we frame this with a triptych of readings from the perspective of Jesus' followers, because Easter doesn't begin this morning or in Good Friday. The path of Easter begins with glory and celebration and a royal welcome. And the triptych is from the Reverend Molly Hausch Gordon. And it begins with, at the gate. He came in on a donkey, but we greeted him as a king. And the crowd was huge that day, as though all of Jerusalem's poor and tired and downtrodden had flooded the streets, had risen up from the streets where we lay, had risen up waving palms, had put down the only coat to shield him from the mud. We had heard about him, you see. We had heard about his miracles of healing, his acts of love. We had heard about how he had touched lepers, eaten with the poor, turned over the temples, turned over the tables in the temple. We knew, we knew he had come to preach love and justice and peace. We thought he had come to save us, all of us. Can you imagine a hope like that? When there is no hope to be found, you are desperate and starving and praying for relief. And here, here he comes. He, here he comes and he is everything. He is loving and kind. He is righteous and angry. He is humble 
and powerful and he, he cares. He cares about us. The outcast, the prisoner, the lowest of the low made room at the tables for everyone to be fed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a hope like that? Can you imagine a hope like that? I think there are times in getting to Easter, it can be easy to forget about Palm Sunday, not just the glory and the celebration that was at that moment, but what it meant to welcome someone such as this, what it meant to the people in a highly stratified society where those who were at the bottom were truly at the bottom, where you had the folks who were widows and had no means of support within the structures, the social structures, where you had the poor, where you had the sick, and standards of who was clean and unclean, and deep biases between people, even while existing in this empire that had great diversity amongst them. Can you imagine a hope of this teacher that sees you and says, yes, you are worthy and loved. And says that to everyone. That was the hope. That was the hope. And that was the problem. That was the problem, too. Because those in power were like, wait a second. You, you all are like paying a lot of attention to this guy. And he says that you don't have to follow us and be obedient to us in the way that you have been. This, this doesn't suit us, those of us who are in power and can say what is what and who can be who and who shall live and who shall die. And so those in power decided that this person, this teacher in particular, there were many teachers at the time, many faiths, many traditions, but this one, this one was too dangerous to live. And so came, ordered soldiers to come in tonight and capture and haul him away. After that beautiful dinner where he was, but, but Jesus knew that this was coming. I mean, he wasn't, you know, assuming everything was fine right? He knew that this was coming, and he told his followers this at that last gathering, that last dinner together, and said, please take of what we have and remember me and go forward. He was trying to prepare them, even though he knew what was coming. But it didn't help ease the pain of that day of execution that day of the cross. And that day is this. From the follower's perspective, no, this cannot be. This man who came in like a king, like our hero, trudging forward like a common thief now. Spat on, insulted, betrayed. He carried our hopes and our dreams and our need. And now he carries a cross. He is bruised and bloodied and weak. 
How? How can they beat him? How could he fail us? How could we fail him? Standing by, helpless, or urging them on in order to not be found. No, no, it cannot be. We are not to blame. We were just too powerless, too small. We watched them mock our hope with a crown of thorns, and then they brought out the nails. And that is when I turned away. I couldn't watch, but I could hear. I could hear his last words, Father, forgive them. He said as he died, Father, forgive them. That is what broke me. Forgive them in his last breath. Father, forgive us. And now he is gone. The hands that healed us, the ears that heard us, the heart that beat for all of us, he is gone. He gave us hope. He gave us purpose. He loved us. He loved us. And he is gone at the tomb. He is gone. One can imagine that the followers would have presumed that it was done, bewildered and lost and grieving, that it was indeed done. They were able to secure for that moment a tomb and permission and a place of rest for this terribly hurt body, this beloved figure whose presence had left but whose body remained and were able to put it into the tomb, but could not take care of it as they should have because of the Sabbath coming. But it was the women, it was the women getting ready to really take care of the work. The the women were like, we can't, we can grieve, but we must do the caring that we are called to do. That is our task. We must care for our beloved teacher's body. So after the Sabbath that morning, you can imagine in the very, very small hours of the dawn, probably wasn't even light out yet, how they had gathered their ointments and wraps, said, we are going to the tomb. We don't know how we're going to get in, but we're going to go. And then they arrive at this tomb and find what is revealed. And it says, Weeping may last for a night. Weeping may last for a thousand nights. But joy, joy comes in the morning. That morning, we went to our beloved teacher's tomb. We went to anoint his body. We carried oil and cloths, but we come to the tomb in sorrow. And we went in sorrow, heads bowed low. But hope, hope doesn't die so easily. It flickers inside, buried somewhere deep. Hope grows, blossoms like a rose, even through stone, even in hearts frozen by grief. When we arrived at the place where he lay, we dropped all that we carried in wonder and fear to see the tomb laid open and our beloved gone. A figure was there in the tomb. Do not weep, said the man. This morning we rejoice. Hope lives. Love lives. Jesus is not here, he said. Come and see he is risen. 
our beloved. Our beloved is risen. Our hope is risen. Can it be? Can it be? What follows immediately in the scripture is that the women went forth from the tomb and this revelation that the body was there and being told that Jesus had risen and not really knowing at all what to make of this, but, but savoring that little bit of hope. And went to tell the other followers, the disciples, uh, the men who didn't believe him. The men doubted the women right from the start and doubted until Jesus himself appeared to the men and said, no, no, I'm really, I, I rose. And you should go forth, as I told you. You should go forth. So what happened in that moment? How did they go forth? Every time I, I come into Easter, I feel like I have to go back to divinity school for a little bit again to remember the, how does this work? How does this happen? The message itself was something, that being inclusive, that all would be cared for in service with each other in this life, but also all would be cared for after death. That was part of the promise. That mutuality, that, that everybody who entered the communion of the church, the relationship of the church, that all were equal and all were caring for each other. That was the expectation. That you had this teacher who came back to life, who did not simply die, was not simply executed as was want and a done thing, of course, in most times. But the teacher had come back and had shown that life could triumph over death that death wasn't the end of the teaching of the possibility of the message. And that certainly spread by itself. That certainly was a worthy message by itself. But the people went forth, the disciples went forth and kept talking about this great teacher. And they went to all the places. They did the missionary work that they were called to do. They hosted, they traveled. They found ways to keep spreading the message beyond simply the Jewish communities where they were speaking to directly and kept saying, no, this message can be open to everyone. They expanded the message themselves, universalizing the message to all traditions and faiths in the course of their work. But they also had this social construct that they were providing. So here's one of the pieces that ended up kind of, I think, as the historians say, kind of solidified um, the Christian teachings in, uh, in the Roman Empire is because those who were following Jesus were learning to read and write so they could understand the scriptures that were being written. And those who could read and write ended up being in the institutions and running the institutions that ran the empire. And in short, one of the things they realized when there were these occasional persecutions of Christians and taking, you know, kicking them out of the institutions was that the institutions fell and they needed 
those who were Christian to be there, to run what was happening. That was one of those things I don't think I actually knew that until learning for today. So those who were, they provided these social services for those who were widows in particular and for those who were in need, who had no other means of support. So they had this entire social support network from a very practical perspective. So the Christians were making themselves useful and not just useful, kind of indispensable. And there's any number of other historical perspectives on how on earth did these Christians show up and endure over time. But those are a couple of them. They kept finding creative ways to respond to the moment. Still very much in the sorrow of the loss of their great teacher. Feeling that every Easter is a chance to also not just remember the celebration, to sing out in joy, but to feel that Good Friday, to remember that Holy Saturday and be in that sorrow. How could this have happened? Because that's also essential to Easter and how it connects with all of our experiences as human beings in life, the range of sorrow that we all experience and how do we move forward and find life and purpose again, as we are doing in this time. So Easter again, it's Easter yet again, and finding a path forward in all of the struggles, in the sorrows of the world, in the heartbreaking headlines of the world, the ones that are local and the ones that are global and all in between. What I so appreciate was how much the followers were embracing what Jesus was teaching, the, what the religion of Jesus before it became the religion about Jesus. What he was offering in the face of oppression and empire and marginalization. He said, no, we can do a different act. We can heal each other and ourselves and all are welcome at this table. And to keep moving forward with that message through all times of life, through all our struggles, through all our lives, including in this modern age. Let us go forth with our hearts that know the depth of loss, the heartbreak of struggle, but also know, and maybe coming to church on Sunday morning helps us remember it again when we can't drum it up for ourselves. Also know how much life triumphs over death, how much we can go forward in this life today and for the future. Let us go forward in the spirit let us go forward in embracing the message of Easter. Let us go forward in love. Amen.